Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. is Sean Martin. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Security here on ITSB Magazine, where we look to operationalize security for businesses small and large. And today, I'm honored to have three guests with me. And uh, I've, I've marked one of them as an honorary co-host to join me for this conversation. I have George Platzis on. George, thanks for uh, been, being part of this. Thanks, Sean. It's always a pleasure being with ITSP. And uh, thank you for inviting me, giving me the honor we had today. So I get to uh, to flip roles a bit. And uh, as it was back in my DJing days, I get to be on the other side of the microphone <laughs> this time. That's so, right. That's uh, right. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about uh, analytics to help drive uh, better security programs. And we're going to get into cloud and and uh, AI and, and machine learning and all kinds of fun things, operational stuff, platform stuff, all, all kinds of stuff. And uh, you, you brought two good friends. Uh, one, is, one is a new friend to me and another is a longtime friend. Uh, we have Kaylee and Chuck. Why don't you do the introductions uh, for them and George, and then uh, we'll have, have them say a few words about who they are and what they're up to. Sure, Sean. Thank you very much for that. So uh, with us on the show, we've got Kaylee Coleman. She's a chief technologist. I'm sorry, I said senior lead technologist. I should have got that one right, Kaylee. But uh, Booz Allen Hamilton and uh, doing some wonderful work on the analytics side. And uh, I think it's just absolutely fascinating to have uh, such a talented individual like this with us because we're really going to see some on-the-ground application for how we're taking advantage of uh, this huge data space that we're working with. The the amount of data that customers are facing these days, how to process that, make sense of that, and turn it into something actionable and tangible is, uh, you know, Kaylee's gonna tell you some some really awesome stuff that she's doing there. And Chuck, as you mentioned, you know, he's a longtime friend of both of us. Chuck's career has been impressive. He's a uh, uh, a very, very respected international voice for all things cybersecurity, machine learning, AI, future tech. Uh, it's got his government and his educational academic experience as well. So I think uh, the best way to get to know our guests right now, if you'd not be opposed, is uh, first we go to Kaylee, who tells us a little bit about herself, and then we'll hand off to Chuck. Awesome. Thanks, George. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Kaylee Coleman. As George mentioned, I'm a leader within our cyber advanced analytics practice at Booz Allen. Spend a lot of time with my clients uh, working in their big data environments, specifically finding cyber analytics solutions for them. So happy to talk with everyone today and great to meet you all. Chuck? Yeah, thank you, Kaylee. And thank you, George and Sean. Uh, Chuck Brooks. Um, thank you, George, for the kind description of my background. Um, I'm currently teaching at Georgetown University in, in two programs, cybersecurity risk management and applied intelligence. And I also run my own consulting firm, which uh, deals with marketing, branding, and cybersecurity. And I've had a long career in industry and government, and I'm excited to be here. I love it. And uh, I have to note that that Chuck, you're one of the first and early and often contributors as uh, 
as we called uh, an expert on ITSP magazine we, when we used to do a lot of writing stuff. So uh, it's I great to have you on and uh, contributing and participating and, and continuing to give back in an audio fashion today. Um, so thanks again for that. And Kaylee, it's a pleasure to meet you. I want to get into it. And, and I think it, it starts with kind of taking a look back. And for those that know me, uh, they know that early days for me, uh, toward the end of my career at Symantec, I was tasked with building out a SIM, which obviously is very data intensive um, and continued to grow after I left over the last 10 years, 13 years, whatever it's been, to really be and security management overall beyond the SIM to be very data driven. And George, I think you touched on this. The fact that the matter is there's so much data out there. How do we ingest, digest, regurgitate <laughs> and inf this information to actually make something of it. And, and Kelly, I want to lead off with you. What, what about the traditional approach approaches of perhaps the past? How are those still working? Are there basics that are working and where have things shifted in terms of types of data, amounts of data, uh, the, the flow of data where those traditional approaches don't work any longer? Yeah, for sure. Happy to take that first question there. So maybe I'll go ahead and start with what I see as the traditional approach. Chuck, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this after I kind of walk through my summarization of what I see a lot in our client space. But the traditional approach from my point of view is really operating under this classic SOC mentality with an outdated approach, if you will, uh, which really ends up giving us two things. One, siloed teams, so the people, right? And incredibly reactive teams. So if we break down those two things, starting with siloed teams, we're talking about internal security teams within the organization or even groups within the SOC itself kind of operating in a vacuum, total lack of communication with each other. They have fragmented processes, blurred lines of accountability, and who owns what, you know, not only from a process point of view, but specifically with their data. Where does IT data end? Where does OT data begin? Where does a TDO process end? Where does, where does a hunt process begin? Um, so that's really our siloed teams problem which moves us into this reactivity problem. And we see a lot of this of cyber leaders buying a new security tool to fix a current problem, being really reactive with that purchase. What I like to call being tool happy. Um, so you have a cloud incident or a near incident, you buy a new cloud monitoring tool, or we have a workstation scare, we buy a new EDR tool. And then what do we do with all of these new tools? And what do we do with all of this new data from this new tool? You know, you can keep it on an island. You can hire a tool SME operating right within that tool's GUI or platform, independently working findings, you know, no communication, which further enhances problem number one, siloed silo teams. Or, Sean, to your point, you throw all of that data into your SIM platform in an attempt to reduce risk. But in reality, what does that do? It really just skyrockets your SIM ingest costs. Um, and you're really using the wrong tool for long-term storage, and you're not actually fixing the detection problem. So those are the two main issues with that traditional approach. So to kind of summarize that, it's a people problem for sure. But in reality, it's a big data and an analytics problem at its core. And Jeff, yeah, I, your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you 100% on that analysis. I'd also add that, you know, just taking it to one layer level or lower, I mean, uh, you know, the, the complexity has become too much for a lot of these same teams, and they don't understand uh, what they need to do. Uh, we've made it much more uh, difficult than it should be. And, and a lot of the, the tools they bought, they can't orchestrate. It, it's a really big problem because they, there's a lot of employees that leave. There's a lack of understanding what they're buying uh, to begin with. So you have all kinds of, of, of issues up front. And the other thing I think where they're lacking now is really in, in identifying where the data resides. You know, a lot of the, the places just don't know where to go and look. Uh, and you really can't have a data management strategy or a cybersecurity strategy to add to that if you don't know where the data resides. You know, you can't classify unless you know where it is. So I think that's that's another uh, element to that sort of traditional approach. And, and I thankfully, I think with, with uh, some of the capabilities coming through automation, and uh, 
you know, clouds and hybrid clouds, we're able to simplify some of that complexity and, 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 and orchestrate some of the things we need. Uh, obviously, this requires a strong analytical capability. And again, that's what, what, what Kaylee said is, is really have been lacking in the traditional methods. Hey, Sean, can I jump in on a, on a question here? You know, uh, Kaylee really got to a core of an issue that I see even in my own work as well. And, you know, this is the, the tool happy mentality. And I laugh when, they, when you both say happy. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, it's and Kaylee, like perhaps you can draw on this and give us some more on it. It's let's take for a moment, say we can break through that mentality of just piling on tools and tools and this house of cards and building fragility into the system. Let's work in this little fantasy world that people see that light. How would you suggest about going and deconflicting what you already have? Because that's something that I can. I see in my own work, it's one of the biggest challenges is just, okay, we know we have dirty data. We know we have tools on tools uh, there. How do we go about separating all of that and coming to something cleaner? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really fun problem to solve if you ask me. So I think a really great approach there is data centralization. And we're seeing that a lot in this sort of next gen CFC approach, which is all around data driven security. But what I want to highlight more than anything is using the right tool for the right job. So going back to what Sean said around building a SIM, um, a lot of people used to and still think about data centralization as throwing all of your data into your SIM tool. But what I like to do is really take a step back and think, is that the right tool for the right job, the job being data centralization. Most of the time it's not, right? If you think about Splunk, for example, or Sentinel, a lot of these SIM tools are charging by ingestion rates. So if you're tool happy and you're a large organization that's growing by the day, that's more and more data that you're ingesting into a SIM, cool with, SIM tool, which is just skyrocketing your price. So um, data centralization, I really like to take a cloud native approach in building this sort of cyber analytics platform that uses the right tool for the right job. So the way that I like to describe it is your main highway is all of your data going into your cloud storage, which is inexpensive. It's efficient for long-term storage. You can do it basically in any cloud service provider. So if you're talking AWS, Azure, GCP, we can use AWS for this example, but your highway is taking everything security related and dumping it into an S3 bucket. So you have everything in a centralized location. So when we're talking about deconflicting, we have it in one place. And then you can have exits coming off of the highway for specific roads where that data needs to go. So if your SIM is one exit, you have the data that needs to be in the SIM going into the SIM. And uh, so many questions with this uh, analogy. And thanks for painting that picture, Kaylee. And Chuck, I want to I want to take it to you. Uh, what other tools? Because the SIM is an easy one to to look at. And, and Kaylee made a point earlier about um, allocating SMEs, subject matter experts, to a particular tool or a particular data set to look for things. And I'm wondering, is that necessary still? And is perhaps that one exit or off-ramp for this data to travel once it reaches the highway. Because I'm just trying to th think back when we talk about education and, and training and certifications from an from a education perspective, there's always the, the common understanding that you can't be an expert in everything, but if you can be an expert in something, you might have a chance to, to actually tackle a problem. So long-winded way of saying, Chuck, are, what are some of the other off-ramps, SIM being one, uh, where it makes sense to, once the data's on the highway, to take an off-ramp and do something else with it? Yeah, well, I think there's a, really some elements more. It, it, I'm going back to really what Kaylee is saying. It's really more of a, a, a strategy and, and uh, you know, how you allocate your resources. And so if you're going to do that, that approach uh, with the hybrid cloud, uh, you, you have to first look at, you know, what you have, uh, 
and, and classify it, and you have to dispose of the data that you do not need. And then if you're looking at some tools to get you there securely, um, you know, you have to look at encryption. Um, you know, it, uh, it, everything is still vulnerable. Being in a cloud doesn't necessarily uh, make you uh, that much more cyber secure. So you have to look at uh, those things and be able to also, you know, monitor your logs and, and who has access. So all those ca uh, capabilities can be fed in to that highway. Uh, I think they're up front. So I think, you know, once you do that up front, um, the highway is much clearer and you can go as fast or faster than you want, uh, you know, uh, than before. So I think, you know, so it's really, it's really a industry specific thing. It's, it's a, it's a company specific thing of how you want to approach it, looking at your strategy and your needs and, uh, what you want to secure and what your data, uh, what you prioritize as your data. And also, I think you have the other, uh, you know, uh, new burden, I guess, of, 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 of having so much unstructured data to deal with, you know, dealing with a lot of the audio and video and the social media that's out now. Um, so you really have to look at uh, having that capability up front too, along with the structured data. So I think it's not necessarily tools, but uh, uh, going with to Kelly said, more of a strategy of what you need uh, to get you going on the highway. And Kelly, I want to go back to you uh, using this visualization of the highway. And my question is, do we travel that highway with the data or are we off to the side observing the highway? Because I'm picturing myself driving in a car where there, and, I, and this comes in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the context of perhaps edge computing, mm -hmm. where I'm driving down the highway and I don't wait to get off the exit to go do something. I, I might see a sign that says accident ahead, be prepared for a 10 minute or two hour delay. But the point is, do I am I traveling the highway with the data and seeing signs along the way, or am I observing it almost like an air traffic controller looking at uh, the data crossing mm -hmm. the highway? Yeah, that's a really good question. I definitely see it as we're observing it from a bird's eye view, if you will. So I see this in terms of the actual infrastructure or architecture diagram. So we're watching the data you know, travel along this highway, all of the data is on the main highway going into, you know, that S3 bucket for long-term cheap storage, for example, some of the data that needs to go into the SIM for basic detection, alerting, near-term log mining will go into the SIM. We want to use that tool the way that it's supposed to be used. But what we have at our disposal for everything that's in the S3 bucket are all of these other tools that we can now use with all of the data in one centralized location. So we can do, you know, big data, higher end, advanced analytics with tools like AWS Lambda or Glue or Athena. We can do AI, we can build ML pipelines for real-time inference or machine learning models using things like SageMaker. We can build all of these really flexible data engineering pipelines um, to output those higher and advanced analytics back into the SIM if we want to, for analysts to work in that single pane of glass, again, using the right tool for the right job. Um, so that's really the idea of the highway. Hey. Kaylee and Chuck, so Chuck, you, you touched on this sort of like data cleanliness part, and I'd like to get your thoughts on both of this. So, you know, this is talking about an operational challenge right now. What I have seen and continue to see, especially with these large amounts of data, is tagging. So I'd actually like to get both of your thoughts, and Chuck, let's start with you since you, you initially touched on this. What can we do to better tag and identify our data? Because I see it as kind of like when you're looking at definitions and policies, if you have these first steps in order, you're actually doing a whole lot better. And it's that old analogy or old saying of garbage in, garbage out. How do we operationally avoid the garbage in? Well, I think it takes a governance strategy, and that starts with everything you do from even your storage of the data. Uh, how you provision it and and configure it. Um, that's the first steps. But I think uh, the other part is, is 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 some of the tools that Kelly just mentioned, uh, machine learning particularly, have the ability and capability to do classification. And some of the classification of that data can be used to segment what your, your sensitive data is and the data you need away from the stuff that you do not need. And again, as I mentioned before, I think that part of the thing is, is we have to do up front is to dispose of the data you no longer need 
because uh, companies and, and, and agencies are accumulating so much data at so much volumes that it's become cumbersome. And, and again, it, it makes it more difficult. You're just uh, trying to be able to differentiate from all the, the data that's out there uh, and you keep adding to it. So you really have to rely now more than ever on automation. And I, and I think you know you don't have the the, pre, the people capabilities to do it, and to get to the the analytical capabilities, you need to have this capability uh, built in. That's uh, awesome. Okay, Kaylee, do you do you got anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of going back to your point there, George, about tagging, that's something that we see a ton of and really uh, norming around this idea of a common information model, right? <laughs> going back to our analogy of being very tool happy, every tool is a special snowflake and has very specific um, field names, structuring of data, but there's a cloud native approach and a way to make everything fit this common information model as soon as it's being ingested on that highway into the platform for whatever exit it's going to take and also giving you the added ability to do that tagging through real-time analytics. So fits right in with this sort of next-gen approach. Cool. So, so now I'm actually going to take it a little bit further down on the data life cycle. I, Chuck, I thought you brought up a great point, and you know, let's go Kaylee and Chuck on this one. Uh, you got your data coming in. You've tagged it well. You've used it. What do you do now when you need to get it out? We're going towards the end of the data life cycle, and here are the sort of thoughts that I have. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking right now about analytics to, to keep us secure on the front end, but I'm worried more about the back end right now, data leakage. What do we need to do, and especially with everything in the cloud, and Kaylee, I think you're going to be able to give us some very excellent insights right here. Getting stuff onto the cloud is very easy. Getting stuff off of the cloud, you know, that can sort of be expensive. That could be a little bit problematic. So how do we ensure that once we have used all our data, how do we get it out of there so that doesn't create a long-term vulnerability? Yeah, so I think it's all around how you're constructing your cloud environment. A cloud environment can be incredibly safe. You can encrypt data at rest, you can encrypt data in motion, you can have multiple different layers of key functionalities so that honestly no one can reach that data. In terms of a data lifecycle, I think it needs to be pretty custom to your environment if we're talking about um, a cloud platform build. So utilizing a lot of the native lifecycle policies that are given through the different CSPs um, are really, really great approach. And I think that they're very safe what I would suggest, though, is using that multi-layer of security, kind of like an onion, if you think about it, right? The entire platform is encrypted, your bucket is encrypted, and then the files within your bucket are encrypted so that anywhere within that data lifecycle, whether that data is hot, and I can query it right now um, with a click of a button, or if that data is cold or in Glacier, meaning it's going to take a few days to get it out of Glacier for us to even see it or use it, all of that can still be protected through that onion layer approach of keys and security. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the only thing that you may want to add is some monitoring and alerting. Uh, which would be, if it's that secure, would sort of be a bonus. But uh, you never know. Uh, there is leakage and also is insider threats that, that do happen. So uh, monitoring and alerting, adding to that, that onion would be another element I would consider. Yeah, that is such a great point. Um, something that I've been creating a lot of recently are these cloud security scorecards, which is a really fun way to take monitoring um, cloud data, right? There's a ton of tools out there right now. Dome9, for example, that's monitoring the infrastructure and the usability of cloud environments across an organization. And depending on those controls that are in place from that tool, giving each individual cloud account a score based on its security posture is a really good way to not only monitor all of your cloud accounts real time, but also see you know, how secure is my fleet across my organization. It's a pretty fun exercise. So Kaylee, that's a great comment there. And I, I'd like to pull on this thread. 
do you see users of the cloud? There's a lot of shared responsibility that goes into this. It's you know, to get past the misconception, hey, you throw it up all into the cloud, it's okay, it's safe, it's secure, disaster recovery is there. Can you walk us through a little bit of what an actual user of these services needs to do to make sure they are taking full advantage of everything that you said? Because it's not as simple, just throw it in and, and it does it itself. There, there are steps that end users need to take. Yeah, absolutely. I would say end users definitely need to lean on their cloud security organization for any sort of policy or regulation within their environment. Um, there's a lot of cloud native ways to set up different users, roles, and profiles for any sort of access or functionality within an account. Um, so that would be my biggest piece of advice. Chuck, what are your thoughts there? Well, I agree with that. I mean, you're a uh, cloud is a platform and you're a tenant. So you really need to rely on your own security teams to do everything that Kaylee just said. Um, you can't rely on the cloud provider. So I think that's an integral part of it. So, uh, um, you know, I, I recommend going to the cloud uh, exactly because of those reasons that were stated so much in, in the earlier and the tools you can add to it. But I, I think it is a responsibility of the company to understand that security is still your responsibility. And I want to talk about, because I mean, it, I'm loving this conversation because of what's possible uh, given the technologies we have available and and the ways we can get at data and, and manipulate it and analyze it and, and get some good, good insight out of it. Um, but I'm thinking not every organization is a Fortune 50 where I see a lot of this maturity coming. So I'm wondering how how can an organization that says we're tired of all this on-prem crap, we're not happy with with every new tool that we deploy, we need to get busy with our data analytics from a security perspective. How do they begin to make that transition? And perhaps as as you describe that, what are some of the benefits you've seen, assuming you have some stories to share, where a move to the cloud, putting the data on these highways actually helped uh, save time, save money, save headache. I don't know, Kaylee, you want to take, take first crack? Sure. Yeah. And actually the common element that I see in this first step, right? I, my biggest piece of advice is visualize what you have. I love data visualization. I think it tells an amazing story if you use it in the right way, especially if you use it as a foundation or a building block for wherever you're at within your analytics maturity. So the first step is visualize what you have. What is your asset inventory, both on-prem and in the cloud? And usually that tells you where your gaps are and where you need to go next. Um, I've rarely walked into a client space where their CMDV is up to date and accurate and reliable. So data visualization of what you have is the first step. And I agree. And the second step would be hiring someone with expertise like you, because there, there's so many tools and products uh, in small and medium businesses that are going to be unaware of them or know what, what they should have uh, specifically for, for their own needs. So uh, I think outside expertise is, is critical, particularly when we're in a transition world where a lot of people are moving on-prem to the cloud and we're facing new and more sophisticated threats in cybersecurity and also the, the ability now of new technologies such as artificial intelligence and machine learning to, to change the playing field that we have not had in the past. So uh, I highly recommend uh, using outside expertise. And where, where do teams need to change skill set wise. Um, I mean, the, the obvious first thing I think of is your on-prem move to the cloud requires different skills to manage stuff in the cloud. But beyond that, um, Kaylee mentioned early on that the, that the SOC mentality, right? Building, building a SIM and running, running everything like a SOC isn't quite working. Um, what needs to change to make this happen from a team skill set perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. I think communication is 
humongous, specifically, uh, you know, your traditional SOC analyst paired with a data scientist is the biggest relationship that I see that needs to be built in an organization. And it's usually the absolute most valuable relationship that is built within an organization. I'll tell you um, a pretty good story about that. So, you know, we, we, walk into a lot of client environments where they're tool happy, right? And we get them to a good spot. We have our data centralized. We have the data that needs to go into the SIM going off of the highway on that exit, right? Um, and it's these out of the box alerting tools. So let's talk about like proxy or firewall or endpoint alerts, for example. They come directly out of the box and you kind of just flip of the switch, turn them on um, and they're unwieldy. A SOC analyst doesn't know what to do with them. They're almost unusable because there's too many. There's not a really easy way to tune that tool. Um, so a data scientist comes in to say, hey, how can I pair back these alerts for you so that you're seeing less of them? And building that relationship between the SOC analyst and the data scientist that's building the model is crucial to be able to build a really great you know, ML AI model, which we call prioritized alerting AI to reduce the dwell time on false positives altogether and let the analysts spend more time doing what they are good at doing based on the AI results. So are you saying that there's a shift from scripting and coding from a pure play SOC perspective to more of a data science? Uh, I don't know what other, what other terms to use there, but but a move from writing scripts to detect stuff faster and better to more of data analytics and data science? Absolutely, yeah. I'd say we have detection covered for the most part, right? Classic detection um, has an expertise around it already to be able to generate these alerts. So now how do we take it a step further? How do we build higher fidelity, advanced analytics, anomaly detection, machine learning, and AI as the data scientists are coming to the table? So Kaylee and Chuck, uh, as we are moving more into relying on the infrastructure that's, we're going off prep, and I actually, I'm going to ask for a little bit of a crystal balling here as well with uh, edge computing and how you how you both feel that's going to play a role into all of this. Um, how do you see infrastructure as code playing a role in 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 the future development of analytics? And maybe Chuck, we can start with you and then go to Kaylee. And again, I'd be fascinated to to know your thoughts on. What will we do after cloud when we get into, we're going to be seeing 5G, you know, I'm already talking about 6G. You're going to have all these endpoints. You're going to have internet of things, yeah, OT, IT. It's just getting more and more and more. It's a, it's a resource management issue. So uh, where do you see that future trend going? Well, I think it's already, it's already moving there. I think largely because of, of legislation and requirements, uh, um, you know, uh, starting in government uh, where they had a, to move from legacy systems. But uh, I think just all the elements you just mentioned, uh, you know, the need to move to the edge, uh, the, the introduction of 5G, uh, the landscape or the ecosystem is, is really changing. And so it's gonna be much more automated and digital. And, and we're seeing that all across uh, every industry. And so that you know, it brings with it uh, different policies, different uh, governance, different compliance issues, obviously, and different skill capabilities, which is a real uh, problem because, again, as Sean brought up, we don't really have a lot of trained people in, in not knowing the difference uh, between how to operate in a cloud environment and also in an on-prem environment and, and, and implement data analytics uh, precisely. So I think we're going to have a learning curve at first. Um, and I think that the simplification of using infrastructure's code and others is, is a logical path. That's great. And uh, based off of that, Kaylee, maybe you could give us a little insight on in what you think the future is going to be on where the trouble points are going to be as we try to implement something like this. Yeah, I think scalability is a huge pain point, right? And that's absolutely where infrastructure as code comes into play, right? You have a solution once and now how do I land and spread? How um, 
do I really bring that across my entire environment? And that's where things like Terraform or cloud formation stacks, infrastructure as code in general, really gives us that blueprint approach. Even when we're talking about a single AI model, kind of going back to that alert, fatigue, prioritize alerting AI, that's, that's one of many, right? People are tool happy. They have 45 different EDR tools. That's definitely an exaggeration. But for example, how do we scale it? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of where we need to look to next here. And do we see companies becoming infrastructure as code happy? <laughs> I'm just wondering, this may seem like an odd question, but do we see a shift in the security vendor landscape to provide, I don't know if we'll ever see fewer tools, but maybe a shift from pure play tools to maybe elements that, that sit at the edge and sit in the cloud as services that do specific things and, and come together on that data highway to to alert and and take automated response and do the, some of the orchestration stuff that we can't do otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think there's always a risk to become anything happy, <laughs> which is why which is why we need uh, the strategic minds to sort of uh, herd the cats, if you will. Chuck, I... I'd be curious, you know, you and I have done a lot of uh, previous work on this. You know, we've taken the security point of view for a long time. I'm I'm increasingly concerned that we have a lot of information uh, that's doing data-driven security, but we're not being forward-thinking enough in case something falls over. And this is, you know, it's been a passion of mine right now most recently with resiliency and, and recovery. How do we ensure that like, you know, we're, we're using these analytics, we're going data-driven security. Um, so we are building more complexity in there. I think that's, that's one of the trade-offs that we're gonna get. How do we ensure these systems that we're creating that we will be relying on for better secure, data security quality? How do we ensure that like they don't fall over? How we can how do we make them more resilient? Yeah. Uh, because we're going to be relying on them more. Yeah, well, I think you're seeing the trend right now, and, and, and people are calling it zero trust. I mean, it's a formal office now in the Pentagon. Um, o, OPM just came out yesterday with a, a dictum to require all agencies to use it. And and that's a good thing because it, it, it makes you review every device and every one person connected to your, your network and, and start from scratch and look at who has access Um why they have access and, and, and should they have access. And I think you need to start there, um, you know, because it's it's going to be a real issue um, trying to, you know, we, we made the problem already when we built the internet, it wasn't built for security. And now we, you know, we're, we're trying to catch up. We've tried everything from defense in depth, and security by design. We have a real shot at sort of mixing security by design with zero trust now and, 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 and taking this to the next level. So I think, uh, those were some of the elements I think that we, we look we look at, and uh, you know, obviously there's other issues too uh, that we have to deal with with uh, compliance and privacy, and so those could now be built in too. You know, people and companies that have those issues could rely on it. But uh, you know, I, you know, trust trust nothing is is really the best <laughs> uh, advice I give uh, to anybody. You know, because you don't know what's in your system already and what could uh, contaminate it and where you're going unless you you look at it from uh, the start. Yeah, uh, I, I love that. Kaylee, like pull on that thread, please. The, the, the trust nothing. Yeah, yeah. I was just also going to add to that. I think uh, there's a huge responsibility in advising the CISOs, right? They CISOs, in my opinion, are are on a new journey. Their role is shifting from being a tactical leader to now being a very strategic leader, right? If your company is building robots, how do you secure the robots? If you're building drones, how do you secure the drones? It's much more strategic than it used to be. And as they step into this new strategic role, how can we advise them to talk about the cloud? How can we advise them to use all of these new sets of data that they have at their fingertips? Well, 
Kaylee, I love that you said that the CISO role is becoming much more strategic. I, I'm, I'm fully on board to that, I think. And if they don't evolve out of this tactical space, you're going to see the, the CISO function be almost swallowed by, by the risk function. Um, the, the issue that I'd like to see there that's coming out of the, the CISO is what can they do to support their teams to avoid fatigue issues, information overload, uh, because again, more data, more alerts. How do we? How do you see avoiding the the fatigue? We've touched on it a little bit so far, but I think it's an important part because we're seeing right now in the industry a lot of people are burning out. You know, COVID, work from home, it's changed sort of the work dynamic. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to take people out of the process by any means because we need their brains, but we have to rely more heavily on advanced analytics and AI, specifically around alert fatigue, which I just touched on a little bit ago. But using you know a combination of unsupervised clustering models to reduce noise of those out-of-the-box alerts for analysts to triage quickly and efficiently, and then using real-time AI inference models for um, after that clustering and labeling has been done to um, determine if that out-of-the-box alert is a true or a false positive. It's been really, really valuable um, and really, really strong in the, the clients that I've seen that. I'm going to take that to kind of the next level because when, when you mentioned robots and drones, Kaylee, I was thinking... That's where I want to go. Screw this security stuff. I want to go work on the robot and drone technology. So maybe talk to me a bit about, and I'll connect this to kind of the front end of this conversation as well, where we have a bunch of traditional stuff sitting in the environment that we all hate. And there's this, I'll say, new frontier of uh, the, the data highway where we can actually get access to data and maybe do things differently and better using technology in a different way as well. How do we get people excited about that? And is part of it getting rid of the some of the old legacy stuff that, that we despise that gives us headache and, and fatigue and, and added heartache? No, I don't think we, we necessarily need to throw things out the door that work. Um, I think people getting excited about robots and drones is definitely something natural to get excited about. I do too. I think it's figuring out a way of making that data usable, right? Chuck brought up a really good point that a lot of this IoT data is very unstructured and it almost feels unusable, um, which can put a lot of fatigue on our people, on our analysts. Um, it's a really big problem to solve. So using everything from start to finish, which I kind of envision as from left to right when we were talking about building the highways, building the off ramps all the way over to advanced analytics, machine learning and AI. It's a story from start to finish and we have to use everything within that story to make that data usable, which will then in turn get people excited about using it. Chuck, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that the, you know, the automation certainly is is a future. It's 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 required. Just there's just not enough people out there, and and be able to train them in these specific specific areas almost impossible. So you have to rely on that. And I, again, I agree with you also. And legacy systems aren't necessarily a bad thing. Mainframes still operate, and they do ninety percent of the financial transactions in industry. So um, it's not a question of of having a legacy system. It's having the ability to go to the next step. And improve yourselves, and then understand what tools are are necessary, and 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 will make your journey an easier one. So, um, you know, we're moving. It, it is technology is just a tool. So, uh, I think if we we really have to understand how to use the tools and optimize them in the best way, and I think that's real the challenge of of the moving to the cloud and and, and also in data management in general. Hey Chuck, so you you brought up this point about you know older systems like mainframes, they still work there. These older systems had a lot of standardization to that. Like, you know, the industry made certain demands on them. I'm going to tie this into a comment that Kaylee made about the data being unstructured, especially on all these devices, on these IoTs. It would be a big push, something I'd certainly like to see, 
But Kaylee, what would your thoughts be on if we had sort of like a certification type, standardization type uh, initiative across the industry to get structured data? You know, I'm thinking sort of like an underwriter's lab type thing where, you know, products before they hit the market, they meet a certain set of criteria. What difference do you think that would make if we were able to sort of nudge the conversation into getting that structured and similar data across the board? That's very interesting. You might just put me out of a job there, George. <laughs> that is not the intent. That is not the intent at all. No, I think that's a that's a really fun data engineering problem to solve. Um, what I will say is every environment is so unique and so different. How do you want that data structured when we're talking about structured data? What I would love to see is a standardized way of doing that transition for most tools, right? So how can we structure data across all EDR tools or across all um, you know, audio tools or video tools to make it that common information model um, as a subset? So some people love unstructured data. Sometimes it's usable in other formats um, for what we need it for. We want it in a specific way. So maybe that's a, that's a separate tool altogether adding to our tool happy bucket there. Happy bucket. I, I love that. <laughs> so, so as we, as we come to uh, come to a close for this conversation, I'm sure we could stay on this uh, highway for a while longer, but uh, I'm going to ask each of you maybe a, a point you can make. And I'm going to ask each of you to take a different stance. So first is for the CISO. Um, and the second is for the analyst. What can they do to actually make this a reality? What, what's the first step they can take to transition from on-prem structured data, rigid systems that uh, don't give them access to the data in the right way and move to a more fluid, natural way of, of getting and analyzing data? So for the system, who wants to take that one? I'm happy to go first for the CISO. Um, from my personal experience, CISOs um, sometimes like a quick fix. So my advice in terms of the first step would be going back to my comments that I made earlier around using the right tool for the right problem is it's going to be a very hybrid solution and that's okay but build what's right for your environment. Yeah, and I think from the analyst perspective, um, using artificial intelligence machine learning uh, will make their job so much easier that they will become automatic advocates, particularly on the reporting requirements, to be able to put together a report and with the um, analysis already ingrained in through machine learning is gonna make their, their work much easier. So. Uh, then it becomes a question of, of the hierarchy of the corporation and and, and who gets uh, what input. But I think in, in the end, I think it's going to, again, be driven by productivity and productivity will be improved by these tools. Couldn't agree more, Chuck. George, I want your final thoughts as well, but I, I'm, I'm going to make a point that it's important to recognize that as we add new things, we need to perhaps... Um, trim other areas. So to your point, Kaylee, we don't get rid of something that works, but uh, we, we can't continue with uh, a, a model where we just continue to pile on. Um, so anything we can do, in my opinion, to reduce complexity, reduce footprint, reduce uh, a lot of operational overhead by adding something new, I think is uh, something all of us should look at. And uh, George, maybe maybe a final thought from you as we wrap here. Sean, thank you, and you know, thank you, Kaylee and Chuck. You know, I I enjoyed my little guest host role here, and uh, maybe Sean's gonna do this to me another time. Here's my my thought for CISOs, pull, pulling on the the comment that Kaylee made about looking for that quick fix. I do believe that people in the CISO, CIO risk um, functions 
you kind of need to fight your human nature a little bit and tap the brakes, pump the brakes a little bit and stay away from being too happy or that next shiny thing. And get your risk assessments and your risk postures right. Because at that point, I think it takes you out of the headspace of looking at this strictly from a security perspective or a recovery perspective. Uh, when you shift into that risk headspace and you have candidly the business acumen, you have the human capital acumen, and this is going again to what Kaylee said, transition the CISO role into something more strategic. When you could shift into that headspace, you may slow down at first. And I think, you know, a few of your listeners have probably heard this saying before it's uh, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think we're going way too fast on a few things right now. And that's being driven, obviously, by business operations. I think we need to focus a little bit on the slow get smooth, clean up our environments. And once we get that smooth process going, that's when we can go fast. Yep. Well said, George. Well said. And uh, with that, you did it. I'm going to do it again. Thank you, Kaylee and Chuck, for, uh, for joining us for this episode of Redefining Security. George, pleasure to have you on. Thank you for being my honorary co-host. I may just tap you again. You never know. Thank you, Steve. I think there are plenty of topics to discuss and plenty of uh, security actions to uh, pick apart and, and understand in a deeper context. So thank you all for uh, being part of this. For those listening, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Redefining Security. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.